Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you please turn to the book of Mark chapter 7? We're going to the book Mark chapter 7. There's a pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take that home. We want everyone to have God's word because we believe that it is important for us to have God's word. So please take out your sermon notes and turn to Mark chapter 7. And this morning we're going to read a story about a woman who had great faith of God. She had great faith. Spurgeon is talking about this particular passage. And he says that this passage is like a diamond. And it's a diamond that you raise up to the light. And as you look at the light, you know, the brilliance shines through it. And then you turn it a little bit and and there's some more color to it. And you keep turning and and the diamond becomes, you know, more brilliant, dazzling in in that light. So this morning, we're going to look at this woman who has great faith. And Jesus, God draws that out of her for for the us to see and displayed for us uh, for all humanity. Now, as we look at this passage as well, there's a couple other things that I think is interesting that uh, might bless you. First of all, if you are a dog lover, now there's some of you that love your pet. Well, you're going to relate to this this morning. So we're going to read about this. And uh, then if you have a child, a spouse or a grandchild or a loved one that is far from God, you especially will want to listen to the message this morning. So let's read our text this morning, Matthew, Mark chapter 7. Oh, before I forget, um, I also have my niece with us today. She's from uh, Tucson. And I knew there was somebody else, and it just happened to think. And then I said, oh, my parents are here as well. So, And notice they are on the second row today. Aren't you glad for that? So this is Gracie. She is with us for a few days. Glad to have her, her with us. And so I appreciate her. So back to the passage, Mark chapter 7. So let's start reading Mark chapter 7. Let's start reading in verse 24. From there he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon and entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. He said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. So let's go back through these verses and find out how God wants to speak to us this morning. And he does want to speak to each and every one of us. 
So let's put on our ears and listen with an open heart that we may see Jesus. So we see here in verse 24, it says, from there. So let's just stop from a moment and find out where it is. Because I think it's important for the background of, of this passage of Scripture. Jesus had just finished talking about what defiles us. It, and it is that which comes from the heart, Jesus is saying, that defiles us. Now, he is saying these to a group of people, especially men, Pharisees, that are teaching that the out side, the outward appearance, the, how you look and what you do defiles you. Jesus says, no, you are defiled by your heart, not by, not by uh, you know, the outside. Your focus is on cleaning up the outside, and yet your heart is defiled. You see, the Pharisees' starting point for godliness was the outside, the exterior, and working in. A lot of people come to Jesus this way. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know, I'm, I'm here, and I'm seeking Jesus, and, and that's, that's good, and just keep on coming. And then you, you say, you know, I got this, and I know if, if everybody knew that I did this, and I need to take care of this before I come to Jesus. And, and so you start working on those things, the, the bad habits, whatever, and, and you start working on those things, thinking that I'll work out here, and then eventually I'll get to a place where I'll get to Jesus. That's the Pharisaical way. Jesus is saying, no, no, listen, it starts with your heart. You start from within, and it works out. You see, when people become a Christian, we don't have to tell them to not do those things that they shouldn't be doing. They just, the Holy Spirit comes in and starts teaching them and convicting them. And eventually, you know, it works out to all those other things in their life. And by the way, we're all in that process of sanctification. And my friend, if you haven't discovered yet, we will be gracious to you in that time that it takes for you to get to a place to be more like Jesus because we're all on the same path. I am, you are. We're just at different places and we're all, we're all there. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, no, it's, it's you get a new heart and then that new heart and the presence of the Holy Spirit being there is that you become more like Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit had moved Jesus from the Sea of Galilee to go to Tyre. Now, this is significant. Why would Jesus put this in here? He wanted to show that there's two different locations because, first of all, Tyre was a place where Gentiles live. Gentiles were looked down upon by the Jew, especially the Pharisees. To touch anything that a Gentile touched was considered unclean. And so you see what's happening here is Jesus is among the Jews and the, Gent and the Pharisees, and then he leaves them as a Jew and goes to the Gentile city as there. Jesus has just spoken about inner purity and travels to a place that, that they had considered unclean, that which would defile you. In other words, Jesus is practicing what he's preaching. But there's a great mission that he's on, that the Holy Spirit has moved him there and to, to help an individual. And we just read about her. We'll talk more about her. And so in verse 24, it says, again, it says, and, and he entered a house. We don't know what, whose house it was. And I happen to think that perhaps it was a Gentile house. I don't know. And, but he said, he said, I wanted no one to know it. 
<laughs> and I love this next phrase, but he could not be hidden. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life, you can't hide Jesus. He, he's just going to come out. If you have been saved, born again, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And though times like like we act like Peter and we're at, we're at the fire warming ourselves and say, oh, I'm not of Jesus, I'm not of Jesus. And it comes out, yes, you're Jesus. I know you're of Jesus. He cannot be hidden. When Jesus comes to your home, into your heart, it just changes. There's something different. If there's not something different, if there's not the, you know, you might check on whether Jesus is there, because when Jesus does come home, he does make a difference. There is some changes that comes starting from within and works out. When Jesus shows up, lives are changed. People become better. Let's go back to verse 25, and let's read verse 25 again. It says, for a woman who's for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician, which, which has the idea or, or, or the, the identification that she was a, 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 from a heritage of a, of a Canaanite, which was the enemy of Israel. So here comes this person, who, this lady, who was a Greek, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician, a Canaanite, by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So here's, here's this, Jesus is in this house, and all of a sudden this lady appears, and she comes, and she has uh, this young daughter, and, and we believe that that word is young, it has to do with little. Maybe that says it in your version, it says little, and, and, and maybe as little as three years old, or four years old, or five, it's talking about very young. It's not a, probably not a teenager, but probably a child, and she comes. And the first thing is I think about this as when you look at demon possession, that, that is uh, something that is very scary. In fact, I, I would imagine that, that she was devastated by this. And, and in Matthew chapter 15, with the other passage that, that talks about this story, it says that, uh, that she was severely tormented. So this young baby, I mean, a young child, young daughter, Severely, severely tormented by the demon that is possessing her. And we ask ourselves, how did she get there? The Bible doesn't tell us. We can speculate. We can say, well, maybe mother might have had something to do with it. Maybe grandfather, maybe because of where she was in, in a false religion uh, without Christ, without the truth of the gospel of, of, of God and Jesus, perhaps they, at an early age, she was given to false idols and, and, and through that, that, I don't know. But here's the thing that as we think about that as parents and as grandparents and our loved ones is that we must guard and protect these little ones from having those doors, those entrance of satanic activity. Be careful what they watch. Be careful what they listen to. Be careful who they hang around. Guard those precious hearts. They are, they are, are so pure and, 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 and the devil wants to come in and destroy their lives. And here she was. Perhaps it was of her own fault. I don't know. 
And I love what Kevin, Pastor Kevin said about the, the guilt and the shame. And she's made me felt some guilt about this, but she's going to the right spot to take care of that. Well, she hears about Jesus. We don't know how she heard about Jesus. We don't know. Could be from a, a neighbor, whoever came and told her and, and did a really good job of, of sharing Jesus because she turns out to know more about who Jesus is than the disciples. Does a good job with this. And so, so here she comes and, and she comes to Jesus with great hope. Jesus is the answer, which he is. Jesus is going to help him, which he will. She comes, a tormented mother, desperate, wanting to, to help her child. And she approaches Jesus with humility. Understand this. In the culture with the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't have a great mix. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles and thought they would, would cause them to be unclean. In fact, they call them at, at places that they were like scavenger wild dogs. And she was a woman for a Jew in their culture. And even still today in certain parts of the world, you know, there's this great separation of, of men and women. They just don't talk to each other. You know, they, they wear clothes to hide themselves. The Pharisees, just to give an idea of, of their thinking, the Pharisees, there was a group of Pharisees that were so, so extreme with this point that they were called the bruised Pharisees. And the reason they were bruised, because whenever they got close to a woman, they would close their eyes and because they were closing their eyes when they're going, they would bump into things and they, they would be bruised by, by bumping into things until the, they were out of space of that woman. I just, there was this great separation that was there. And this woman comes and falls at Jesus' feet in front of everyone. His mother was desperate. Boy, there's no... There's nothing more to a parent that grabs our heart and just yanks on it than our own children or our grandchildren. They pull our heartstrings. She falls at Jesus' feet. This woman had great faith in God. And great faith always it exhibits great humility. Faith in God always has great humility. Deflating of self. Faith in God and faith in self do not mix. But when we empty ourselves, that humility. And notice something else. That the Bible says that she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. We see that she believed Jesus could save her daughter. She was not going to stop until Jesus helped her. She probably was loud about it as well. as, And in the original, it has a tense of it was continually begging, begging, begging. It's kind of like the story in Luke chapter 18. You remember the widow lady that comes for the judge for justice and he keeps, she keeps coming to him and he keeps denying her presence and keeps denying to, to, to speak to her. And she kept saying, and then finally he says, okay, woman, <laughs> I will listen to you and I will grant justice for your situation. And God says, that's the way we come in prayer. And so great faith in God is persistent asking and believing. And this woman did that. She didn't give up. 
She doesn't stop. She keeps on. This faith doesn't give up believing and believes that in due time, God will respond and will help. In Matthew chapter 15, in the other passages of scripture of this, it says, it says, it says that uh, something else that is injected here that's not in Luke chapter, excuse me, in Mark chapter 7. It says this, it says, Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. When she kept asking, here's what Jesus' response was, and it seems out of character of him. Jesus gives no reply, not even a word. We can rightly say that the opposite of love is not hatred, but indifference. Indifference says, I care nothing about what happens to you. No response says, you don't exist to me. She comes, she humbles herself, and she's begging at Jesus' feet. And he seems indifferent to her. Have you ever been to that place? Oh, and your heart's broken. And you come to the feet of Jesus. And you're pleading and you're begging. And you say, God, why don't you give me an answer? God, help me with this situation. And it seems like God is silent. It seems like God is indifferent. It seems like he's not there. Like he doesn't care. This is the way this lady was feeling. Back in Matthew 15, it goes on, it says, then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all her begging. Jesus stands there and he's stoic and he doesn't respond, doesn't say anything. And she's there before him, humbly asking. This is her daughter. Disciples watch this, and disciples to the side, maybe to the right or to the left, and they start saying, you know, let's get this lady out of here. She's bothering us. This begging and stuff, this crying, this wailing. We've got some business going on here. Interrupting. And they and they want her to go. And then Jesus says in verse 24, Matthew says to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. He says to this Gentile woman, her heart is breaking for her daughter. And he says to this, as the disciples there, Jesus there, and then maybe other Gentiles, maybe there's a mixture of Jews. We don't know. But he says to this woman, he looks at her and he says these words, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Wow. What incredible response that Jesus has said. It was a true statement, though. Jesus did come. The, the Israelites, the, the Jews were the chosen people of God. And he worked through the people of God. And through the Old Testament, we find that how, if you want to know how God loves and how he takes care of us, watch how he took care of the people of Israel. Tremendous example to us all. It was a true statement. And he says this to this woman who was pouring her heart out to God. Now, later on in Acts chapter one, the Holy Spirit comes and directs the church to go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's very clear that the gospel was being pushed out from uh, the Jews into the world. 
And so we can't say uh, and that Jesus was racist, that he, he was against this woman because of her gender, because of her race. Jesus, God, loves everyone. He loves everyone. It's very evident. But remember, he's trying to bring something out to show us about her faith. And she pleaded again and said, Lord, help me. Before it was a title, David, old Sunday day, Lord, help me. You know, in a great faith, there's always comes with some resistance. It's always when you're taking that step of faith, when you're in faith and you're maybe in a process of taking a step of faith, there's always going to be resistance. It comes with faith. Resistance of your own self or your thoughts, maybe your family and friends, the world. Maybe it's, it's uh, who knows, but it comes with taking a step of faith. We find that this woman displayed more faith in Jesus than the disciples. We discover that she had a greater understanding of who Jesus was than the disciples. She sees what the disciples don't see. Let's go on to verse 27 again. It says, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So you imagine the scene here is what Jesus is trying to set up word picture here. Here's the family and here's the children and here's the dogs. And, it, and you wouldn't take the food from the babies, from the children, and feed it to the dogs. You would feed first the children. And it would seem like a harsh statement. It seemed like God was, or Jesus was discouraging the woman, reminding her that the children, the Jewish people get priority over the Gentiles like little dogs at a dinner table. So for the dog lovers, you're about ready to stone me. Jesus isn't talking bad here. Actually, it's very endearing. Let me show you something. In the, in the Greek, there are two words for dogs in the New Testament. There's, first of all, the one is kuon, sca means scavenger, wild dog, often called, often called Gentiles, uh, often named the Gentiles as these type of dogs, very derogative, wild dogs. But also in this passage, another word is used to describe a dog in this curiaron. It's a Greek word. And this means little dog, pet dog. It could even mean little puppy dog. Like your curion at home right now who is tearing up things. <laughs> and you're going to go home and say, that's all right. You're all right. You're good. Now, Ed and Sandy, you don't have a dog, do you? But if you ever come to the office, she has a pet and the name's Sugar. It's a little vacuum cleaner that's a robot that goes out throughout the house and she brings it to the office sometimes and she calls it sugar. She talks to that. She, she carries on this conversation with sugar. So here's the word for this dog that he's mentioned. It's not this scavenger wild dog. It's a pet fam. It's a, it's a family pet. It's a dog that would there, and they like the dog. 
It's a little puppy dog. They want the dog around. They like him. It's an endearing term. And so Jesus used this only in the New Testament with this lady concerning this dog. And then her comeback. Okay, you got to watch this. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Wow, what a response that this lady had. Her humble reply is, is first of all, it's prophetic that the good news would come to the Jews, yes, but also to the Gentiles. Well, Paul says here in, in the book of Romans, as we go through the book of Romans, and he talks about the, how that the Gentiles are grafted in the kingdom of God. And so she is talking truth back to Jesus. There is great faith in God in the alignment of God's will. In alignment. What I'm saying by this is that when we know the promises of God, when we know the truth, we can reply them back to God with his very own words. This was a principle that she had somehow grasped. And she knew, yes, that's true what you're saying, Jesus, but even the crumbs will fall off these little dogs. Even we will get some of that. And Jesus responds, yes. So it's important for us to know what the Bible says, the truth, the promises of God, so that we may in turn come back and say, God, by faith, you said in your word that you would this. God, I believe you said this, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to answer this. You know, sometimes there are things in the, in, that aren't in alignment of God's word, you know. It might be, you know, a faith that you're going to win the lotto. I don't know. You know, I'm going to win the lotto. You know, when God, when you get the lotto, I'm going to give it back to God. And, you know, all these promises that you make. Well, if that's not, and I can't say that that's a truth that God has to answer. It's not a prayer that God has to answer because God may, in his will for your life, he knows that that money would ruin you. Your prayer life would tank because you would be all filled up with money and stuff and you would need God. Paul one time had an, uh, an infliction, a sickness. And we would say the Apostle Paul was a great man of faith. He had a sickness one time. He said, God, take the sickness away. And he prayed in earnest. And if there was a man who had faith in God, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet it wasn't according to God's will for him to be healed. And sometimes that happens to us in our life. And yes, God will heal every believer one day. Whether it's this side of glory or the other side of glory, it's all up to God. When he does his healing. Faith in God according to the will of God. Did God want to rescue this little girl from demon position? Absolutely yes. He promised in his word that he came to set the captives free. We sang that in the first song we sang this morning. That's God's promise. And she fell at Jesus' feet with that promise and looked up to Jesus and said, Help me, Lord. My daughter is possessed by demons. And you want to help, God? 
and he did, and he does. Notice that she didn't take offense of what Jesus said about being a little dog. The woman knew her status was very low. She knew what she didn't deserve, that she didn't deserve God's help, and that she had no merit to demand God's help. The test of our humility is how we respond to God when he tells us something, something about us or something he wants us to do. It's a test of our humility. This woman passed the test. She didn't sit there and argue with God. She didn't try to make herself look better. She accepted what God said. A key point here in all this for God to work in this lady's life, she depended upon the goodness of God, not her own goodness. It was all of grace. She came not with her flowery speeches, her good works, how good she is, what she has given, what she has done. She didn't come building herself up she came at the lowest that she could go. The most humble spot. And grace was given. Psalms 51 says, the sacrifice you did, David speaking to God, and it says that the sacrifice you, God, desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, repentant heart of God. Matthew 5, when Jesus was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. God blesses those who are mourned. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who are hunger and, who hunger and thirst for justice. The depleted, the hungry, the starving of goodness, emptiness of, they empty themselves and God gives grace. Gives grace. Two things about faith. First of all, we understand clearly that faith is a gift of God. It's not earned. It is received by grace and faith of God is a grace is given by God and is a grace of God. And faith by nature is passive. We rest in the work of God. We do not work. We rest. We receive. We don't earn. Just resting and receive. And when that lady fell, she knew she couldn't do anything. It was all depending upon what God was going to do. And God did answer. Because in verse 29, he said to her, for this saying, this saying, what you just said, Go your way. The demon has gone down out of your daughter. And when she came to her house, she found the demon gone out and her da daughter lying on the bed. I think there was a different return than when she came to Jesus, don't you think? Full of desperation, full of questions, so anxious and and maybe even hopeless. But she came to Jesus and she goes away full of hope, running home, and great faith in God ends in celebrating God. Great faith, your faith, my faith in God celebrates God. And God loves you. And he loves your children. 
that loves your spouse and your grandchildren, a loved one who is held in captivity. In fact, God loves your children more than you love them or your grandchildren. He wants to help, but you must allow him to work on his terms and not yours. It is all of God. Cindy and I can relate to this story. Not that we believe any of our kids were demon possessed. <laughs> Maybe at two years old, no. A few years ago, one of our daughters was walking away from God. It was breaking her heart to see this happen. She had let a boy into her heart that was causing her to go down a dark path. And we came to Jesus' feet. We threw ourselves before him, pleading and begging God. We had our small group praying for us. They were such an encouragement during that time. And we experienced resistance. Resistance because it seemed that God was silent, wasn't answering our prayers. And it was an extended amount of time that we were praying and begging God to rescue our daughter. It seemed that he was indifferent. Couldn't he see what was going on? Why doesn't he work? How come he's not there? But God gave us a strong faith as we knew he loved us and he loved her. We are confident based upon his promise that he was working in her life. And we, would, and we were confident and knew that God would act according to his goodness and not ours. And God did work. And today that same daughter married a godly man who rides around in his work truck with his Bible on his dash. He prays over his grandkids, over my grandkids, our grandkids, over his kids every morning and every night. He loves my daughter, who recently was chosen. He was recently chosen, asked to be a deacon in their church. And he is leading his family, my daughter and my grandkids, to follow Jesus Christ. I just say that, my friend. Some of you are in that mix, and we know what that feels like, like this lady. You just keep praying. You just keep begging God. You just keep asking God and putting it on God's hands, in God's hands, and upon him. Keep doing that. Because faith in God always ends in celebrating God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're one of a kind. There is no one like you. You exist without any needs. You're self-sufficient. You don't need anything from us. You don't need our help. You are our help. You are everything that we need. And by the, by the faith that you have given us, we trust you with our lives. 
believing that you love us and you love our children, our grandchildren, and our loved ones. And we believe, God, we believe that you're at work in their lives to bring salvation and healing to them. And we trust you and only you with their care. And we are confident that one day we will celebrate your work in their lives because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.